This sermon was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative on Sermon Audio. There may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at info at sermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners. The Greatness of the Soul, Part 3 By John Bunyan Other Things That Show the Greatness of the Soul Second, we will now come to other things that show us the greatness of the soul. And the soul is called God's breath. One, it is called God's breath of life. And the Lord God formed man. That is the body of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Do but compare these two together, the body and the soul. The body is made of dust, the soul is the breath of God. Now, if God hath made this body so famous, as indeed he has, and yet it is made but of the dust of the ground, and we all do know what inferior matter it is, what is the soul, since the body is not only its house and garment, but since itself is made of the breath of God. But further, it is not only said that the soul is of the breath of the Lord, but that the Lord breathed into him the breath of life, to wit, a living spirit, for so the next words infer, and man became a living soul. Man, that is, the more excellent part of him, which, for that which is principal, is called man, that bearing the denomination of the whole, or man, the spirit and natural power, by which, as a reasonable creature, the whole of him is acted, became a living soul. But I stand not here upon definition, but upon demonstration, but upon demonstration. The body, that noble part of man, had its original from the dust, for so says the word, Dust thou art as to thy body, and unto dust shalt thou return. But as to thy more noble part, thou art from the breath of God, God putting forth in that a mighty work of creating power, and man was made a living soul. Mark my reason. There is as great a disparity betwixt the body and the soul as is between the dust of the ground and that here called the breath of life of the Lord. And note further that as the dust of the ground did not lose but gained glory by being formed into the body of a man, so this breath of the Lord lost nothing neither by being made a living soul. O man, dost thou know what thou art, the soul God's image? Two, as the soul is said to be of the breath of God, so it is said to be made after God's own image, even after the similitude of God. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Mark, in his own image, in the image of God created he him, or, as James hath it, it is made after the similitude of God, like him, having in it that which beareth semblance with him. I do not read of anything in heaven or earth or under the earth that is said to be made after this manner, 
or that is at all so termed, save only the Son of God himself. The angels are noble creatures, and for present employ are made a little higher than man himself. But that any of them are said to be made after God's image, after his own image, even after the similitude of God, that I find not. This character, the Holy Ghost, in the scriptures of truth, giveth only of man, of the soul of man. For it must not be thought that the body is here intended in whole or in part. For though it be said that Christ was made after the similitude of sinful flesh, yet it is not said that sinful flesh is made after the similitude of God. But I will not dispute. I only bring these things to show how great a thing, how noble a thing the soul is, in that, at its creation, God thought it worthy to be made, not like the earth or the heavens or the angels, seraphims or archangels, but like himself, his own self, saying, Let us make man in our own likeness. So he made man in his own image. This, I say, is a character above all angels. For, as the apostle said, To which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son? So, of which of them hath he at any time said, This is or shall be made in or after mine image, mine own image? Oh, what a thing is the soul of man, that above all, the creatures in heaven or earth, being made in the image and similitude of God. The soul God's desire. 3. Another thing by which the greatness of the soul is made manifest is this. It is that, and that only, and to say, this is more than to say, it is that above all the creatures that the great God desires communion with. He hath set apart him that is godly for himself, that is, for communion with his soul. Therefore the spouse saith concerning him, his desire is toward me, and therefore he saith again, I will dwell in them and walk in them, to dwell in and walk in are terms that intimate communion and fellowship. As John saith, Our fellowship, truly our fellowship, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That is, our soul fellowship. For it must not be understood of the body, though I believe that the body is much influenced when the soul has communion with God. But it is the soul, and that only, that at present is capable of having and maintaining of this blessed communion. But, I say, what a thing is this, that God, the great God, should choose to have fellowship and communion with the soul above all. We read indeed of the greatness of the angels, and how near also they are unto God. But yet there are not such terms that bespeak such familiar acts between God and angels, as to demonstrate that they have such communion with God as has, or as the souls of his people may have. Where has he called them his love, his dove, his fair one? And where, when he speaketh of them, doth he express a communion that they have with him by the similitude of conjugal love? I speak of what is revealed. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Now by all this is manifest the greatness of the soul. Men of greatness and honor, if they have respect to their own glory, 
they have respect to their own glory, will not choose for their familiars the base and rascally crew of this world, but will single out for their fellows' fellowship and communion those that are most like themselves. True, the king has not an equal, yet he is for being familiar only with the nobles of the land. So God with him none can compare, with him none can compare. Yet since the soul is by him singled out for his walking mate and companion, it is a sign it is the highest born, and that upon which the blessed majesty looks, as upon that which is most meet to be singled out for communion with himself. Should we see a man familiar with the king, we would, even of ourselves, conclude he is one of the nobles of the land. But this is not the lot of every soul. Some have fellowship with devils, yet not because they have a more base original than those that lie in God's bosom, but they, through sin, are degenerate, and have chosen to be great with his enemy. But all these things show the greatness of the soul, the soul a vessel for grace, for the soul of men are such as God counts worthy to be the vessels to hold his grace, the graces of the Spirit in the graces of the Spirit. What like them, or where here are they to be found, save in the souls of men only? Of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace received into what? Into the hidden part, as David calls it. Hence the king's daughter is said to be all-glorious within, because adorned and beautified with the graces of the Spirit. For that which David calls the hidden part is the inmost part of the soul. And it is therefore called the hidden part, because the soul is invisible. Nor can anyone living infallibly know what is in the soul but God himself. But, I say, the soul is the vessel into which this golden oil is poured, and that which holds and is accounted worthy to exercise and improve the same. Therefore the soul is it, which is said to love God, saw ye him who my soul loveth. And therefore the soul is that which exerciseth the spirit of prayer, with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. With the soul also men are said to believe, and into the soul God is said to put his fear. This is the vessel into which the virgins got oil, and out of which their lamps were supplied by the same. But what a thing, what a great thing therefore is the soul, that that above all things that God hath created should be the chosen vessel to put his grace in. The body is the vessel for the soul, and the soul is the vessel for the grace of God. But, five, the greatness of the soul is manifest by the greatness of the price that Christ that Christ paid for it, to make it an heir of glory, and that was his precious blood. We do use to esteem of things according to the price that is given for them, especially when we are convinced that the purchase has not been made by the estimation of a fool. Now the soul is purchased by a price that the Son, the wisdom of God, thought fit to pay for the redemption thereof. What a thing then is the soul! Judge of the soul by the price that is paid for it, and you must needs confess 
unless you count the blood that hath bought it an unholy thing, that it cannot but be of great worth and value. Suppose a prince, or some great man should, on a sudden, descend from his throne or chair of state, to take up, that he might put in his bosom, something that he had espied lying trampled under the feet of those that stand by. Would you think that he would do this for an old horseshoe, or for so trivial a thing as a pin or a point? Nay, would you not even of yourselves conclude that that thing for which the prince, so great a man, should make such a stoop, must needs be a thing of very great worth? Why, this is the case of Christ and the soul. Christ is the prince, his throne was in heaven, and as he sat there, he espied the souls of sinners trampled under the foot of the law, and death for sin. Now what doth he but comes down from his throne, stoops down to the earth, and there, since he could not have the trodden down souls without price, he lays down his life and blood for them. But would he have done this for inconsiderable things? No, nor for the souls of sinners neither, had he not valued them higher than he valued heaven and earth besides. This, therefore, is another thing by which the greatness of the soul is known. The soul immortal. 6. The soul is immortal. It will have a sensible being forever. None can kill the soul. The soul. If all the angels in heaven and all the men on earth should lay all their strength together, they cannot kill or annihilate one soul. No, I will speak without fear, if it may be said, God cannot do what he will not do. Then he cannot annihilate the soul. But notwithstanding all his wrath and the vengeance that he will inflict on sinful souls, they yet shall abide with sensible beings yet to endure, yet to bear punishment. If anything could kill the soul, it would be death. But death cannot do it, neither first nor second. The first cannot, for when Dives was slain, as to his body by death, his soul was found alive in hell. He lift up his eyes in hell. Being in torment, the second death cannot do it, because it is said their worm never dies, but is always torturing them with his gnawing. But that could not be, if time or lying in hellfire forever could annihilate the soul. Now this also shows the greatness of the soul, that it is that which has an endless life, and that will, therefore, have a being endlessly. Oh, what a thing is the soul! The soul, then, is immortal, though not eternal. That is eternal, that has neither beginning nor end, and therefore eternal is properly applicable to none but God. Hence he is called the eternal God. Immortal is that which, though it hath a beginning, yet hath no end, it cannot die, nor cease to be. And this is the state of the soul. It cannot cease to have a being when it is once created. I mean a living, sensible being. For I mean by living, only such a being as distinguishes it from annihilation or incapableness of sense and feeling. Hence, as the rich man is after death said to lift up his eyes in hell, so the beggar is said, when he died, 
to be carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And both these sayings must have respect to the souls of these men. For as for their bodies, we know at present it is otherwise with them. The grave is their house, and so must be till the trumpet shall sound, and the heavens pass away like a scroll. Now I say, the immortality of the soul shows the greatness of it, as the eternity of God shows the greatness of God. It cannot be said of any angel but that he is immortal, and so it is, and ought to be said of the soul. This, therefore, shows the greatness of the soul, in that it is as to abiding so like unto him. Tis the soul that acts the body. 7. But a word or two more, and so to conclude this head. The soul. Why, it is the soul that acteth the body in all these things, good or bad, that seem good and reasonable, or amazingly wicked. True, the acts and motions of the soul are only seen and heard in, and by the members and motions of the body, but the body is but a poor instrument. Soul is the great agitator and actor. The body without the spirit is dead. All those famous arts and works, and inventions of works that are done by men under heaven, they are all the intentions of the soul and the body, as acting and laboring therein, doth it but as a tool, that the soul maketh use of to bring his invention into maturity. How many things have men found out to the amazing of one another, to the wonderment of one another, to the begetting of endless commendations of one another in the world, while in the meantime the soul, which indeed is the true inventor of all, is overlooked, not regarded, but dragged up and down by every lust and prostrate, and made a slave to every silly and beastly thing. Oh, the amazing darkness that hath covered the face of the hearts of the children of men, that they cannot deliver their soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Though they are so cunning in all other matters, take man in matters that are abroad and far from home, and he is the mirror of all the world. But take him at home, and put him upon things that are near him. I mean, that have respect to the things that concern his soul, and then you will find him the greatest fool that ever God made. But this must not be applied to the soul, simply as it is God's creature, but to the soul sinful, as it has willingly apostatized from God, and so suffered itself to be darkened, and that with such thick and stupefying darkness that it is bound up and cannot, it hath a napkin of sin bound so close before its eyes that it is not able of itself to look to. And after those things which should be its chiefest concern, and without which it will be most miserable forever. The soul capable of having to do with invisibles. 8. Further, as the soul is thus curious about arts and sciences, and about every excellent thing of this life, so it is capable of having to do with invisibles, with angels, good or bad, yea, with the highest and supreme being, even with the holy God of heaven, even with the holy God of heaven. I told you before that God sought the soul of man to have it for his companion, and now I tell you that the soul is capable of communion with him, 
when the darkness that sin hath spread over its face is removed. The soul is an intelligent power. It can be made to know and understand depths and heights and lengths and breadths in those high, sublime and spiritual mysteries that only God can reveal and teach. Yea, it is capable of diving unutterably into them. And herein is God, the God of glory, much delighted and pleased to wit, that he hath made himself a creature that is capable of hearing, of knowing and of understanding of his mind, of understanding of his mind, when opened and revealed to it. I think I may say, without offense to God or man, that one reason why God made the world was that he might manifest himself not only by, but to the works which he made. But I speak with reverence, how could that be? If he did not also make some of his creatures capable of apprehending of him in those most high mysteries and methods in which he purposed to reveal himself. But then, what are those creatures which he hath made, unto whom when these things are shown, that are able to take them in and understand them, and so to improve them to God's glory, as he hath ordained and purposed they should but souls. For none else in the visible world are capable of doing this but they. And hence it is that to them and them only he beginneth to reveal himself in this world. And hence it is that they and they only are gathered up to him where he is. For they are they that are called the spirits of just men made perfect. The spirit of a beast goeth downward to the earth. It is the spirit of a man that goes upwards to God that gave it. For that, and that only, is capable of beholding and understanding the glorious visions of heaven. As Christ said, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And thus the greatness of the soul is manifest. True, the body is also gathered up into glory, but not simply for its own sake, or its own sake, or because that is capable of itself to know and understand the glories of its maker. But that has been a companion with the soul in this world, has also been its house, its mantle, its cabinet and tabernacle here. It has also been it by which the soul hath acted, in which it hath wrought, and by which its excellent appearances have been manifested, and it shall also there be its co-partner and sharer in its glory. Wherefore, as the body here did partake of soul excellencies, and was also conformed to its spiritual and regenerate principles, so it shall be hereafter a partaker of that glory with which the soul shall be filled, and also be made suitable by that glory to become a partaker and co-partner with it of the eternal excellencies which heaven will put upon it. In this world it is a gracious soul. I speak now of the regenerate, and in that world it shall be a glorious one. In this world the body was conformable to the soul as it was gracious, and in that world it shall be conformable to it as it is glorious. Conformable, I say, by partaking of that glory that then the soul shall partake of.
yea, it shall also have an additional glory to adorn, and make it yet the more capable of being serviceable to it, and with it in its great acts before God in eternal glory. Oh, what great things are the souls of the sons of men, the soul capable of diving into the depths and mysteries of hell. 9. But again, as the soul is thus capable of enjoying God in glory, and of prying into these mysteries that are in him, so it is capable, with great profundity, with great profundity, to dive into the mysterious depths of hell. Hell is a place and state utterly unknown to any in this visible world, excepting the souls of men. Nor shall any forever be capable of understanding the miseries thereof, save souls and fallen angels. Now, I think, as the joys of heaven stand not only in speculation or in beholding of glory, but in a sensible enjoyment and unspeakable pleasure which those glories will yield to the soul, so the torments of hell will not stand in the present lashes and strokes which by the flames of eternal fire God will scourge the ungodly with. But the torments of hell stand much, if not in the greatest part of them, in those deep thoughts and apprehensions which souls in the next world will have of the nature and occasions of sin, of God and of separation from Him, of the eternity of those miseries and of the utter impossibility of their help, ease or deliverance forever. Oh, damned souls will have thoughts that will clash with glory, clash with justice, clash with law, clash with itself, clash with itself, clash with hell, and with the everlastingness of misery. But the point, the edge, and the poison of all these thoughts will still be galling and dropping and spewing out their stings into the sore, grieved, wounded, and fretted place, which is the conscience though not the conscience only. For I may say of the souls in hell that they all over are but one wound, one sore. Miseries as well as mercies sharpen and make quick the apprehensions of the soul. Behold Spira in his book, Cain in his guilt, and Saul with the witch of Endor, and you shall see men ripened, men enlarged and greatened in their fancies, imaginations, imaginations, and apprehensions, though not about God and heaven and glory, yet about their loss, their misery, and their woe, and their hells, the ability of the soul to bear. 10. Nor doth their ability to bear, if it be proper to say they bear those dolors which there forever they shall endure, a little demonstrate their greatness. Everlasting burning, devouring fire, perpetual pains, gnawing worms, utter darkness, and the ireful soul's face and strokes of divine and infinite justice will not, cannot make this soul extinct. As I said before, I think it is not so proper to say the soul that is damned for sin doth bear these things, as to say it doth ever sink under them, and therefore, Therefore, their place of torment is called the bottomless pit, because they are ever sinking, and shall never come there where they will find any stay. Yet they live under wrath, but yet only so as to be sensible of it, as to smart and be in perpetual anguish, 
by reason of the intolerableness of their burden, but doth not their thus living, abiding, and retaining a being, or what you will call it, demonstrate the greatness and might of the soul? Alas, heaven and earth are short of this greatness. For these, though under less judgment by far, do fade and wax old like a moth-eaten garment, and in their time will vanish away to nothing. Also, we see how quickly the body, when the soul is under a fear of the rebukes of justice, how soon, I say, it wastes, molders away, and crumbled into the grave. But the soul is yet strong, and abides sensible to be dealt with all for sin by everlasting burnings. The might of the soul further shown. 11. The soul by God's ordinance, while this world lasts, has a time appointed it to forsake and leave the body to be turned again to the dust as it was. And this separation is made by death. Therefore the body must cease for a time to have sense or life or motion. Motion, and a little thing brings it now into this state. But in the next world, the wicked shall partake of none of this. For the body and the soul being at the resurrection rejoined, this death that once did rend them asunder, is forever overcome and extinct, so that these two which lived in sin must forever be yoked together in hell. Now there the soul being joined to the body, and death which before did separate them, being utterly taken away, the soul retains not only its own being, but also continueth the body to be, and to suffer sensibly the pains of hell, without those decays that it used to sustain. And the reason why this death shall then be taken away is because justice in its bestowing its rewards for transgressions may not be interrupted, but that body and soul, as they lived and acted in sin together, might be destroyed for sin in hell together. Destroyed, I say, but with such a destruction, which, though it is everlasting, will not put a period to their sensible suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. This death, therefore, though that also be the wages of sin, would now, were it suffered to continue, be a hindrance to the making known of the wrath of God, and also of the created power and might of the soul. 1. It would hinder the making known of the wrath of God, for it would take the body out of the way, and make it incapable of sensible suffering for sin, and so removing one of the objects of vengeance, the power of God's wrath would be so far undiscovered. 2. It would also hinder the manifestation of the power and might of the soul, which is discovered much by its abiding to retain its own being, while the wrath of God is grappling with it, and more by its continuing to the body a sensible being with itself. Death, therefore, must now be removed, that the soul may be made the object of wrath without molestation or interruption. That the soul, did I say, yea, that soul and body both might be so. Death would now be a favor, though once the fruit of sin and also the wages thereof might it now be suffered to continue, because it would ease the soul of some of its burden, for a tormented body cannot but be a burden to a spirit, and so the wise man insinuates when he says, 
the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, that is, bear up under it, but yet so is that it feels it a burden. We see that, because of the sympathy that is between body and soul, how one is burdened if the other be grieved. A sick body is a burden to the soul, and a wounded spirit is a burden to the body. A wounded spirit who can bear, but death must not remove this burden. But the soul must have the body for a burden, and the body must have the soul for a burden, and both must have the wrath of God for a burden. Oh, therefore here will be burden upon burden, and all upon the soul, for the soul will be the chief seat of this burden. But thus, much to show you the greatness of the soul.